Did you know that within a decade, women will hold $30 trillion in investable assets? Yet somehow, only 19% of women reported feeling confident in selecting investments that align with their long-term goals. Our friends at InvestHer are out to change that. InvestHer Con is the number one premier conference for women in real estate, and it's happening June 2nd through the 4th in Austin, Texas. InvestHerCon is not just another real estate conference. It's a transformational experience focused on real estate investing, business strategies, and self-care tactics, all designed to help women take control of their financial futures. Gain the knowledge and skills you need to grow your portfolio and build a sustainable business, all while connecting with over 500 women who are playing at the same level. To learn more and to get your tickets, visit InvestHerCon.com today and use the code 100BESTEVER to get $100 off your ticket. That's InvestHer, H-E-R, Con.com, promo code 100BESTEVER to get $100 off your ticket. When you inherit all that money, around maybe a couple of months or two years afterwards, one of those owners might come to him and say, hey, I'm ready to sell my property. And he can be like, boom, I've got all this equity. Let's do a deal. Best ever listeners, before we jump into today's episode, got two questions for you. And this is for my fix and flippers out there. One, are your financing costs eating away your bottom line? And two, are you looking for a way to increase your overall profits by reducing your loan payments to the bank or private lender? Of course you are, right? You're always looking to maximize the potential of your deal. So here's a solution. We got a solution for you through the crowdfunding platform, Patch of Land. If you're a loyal best ever listener, you know Patch of Land. They've been on the show many times. They've sponsored the show many times. They're back for more because they love you. They want to help you out. They want to add value to your life. And here's how they're going to do it. They have a solution to your financing issue of financing costs eating away from the bottom line. And they want to help you reduce your loan payment to the bank. So here we go. Patch of Land offers a fix and flip loan program that only charges interest on the funds that have been dispersed as opposed to the traditional model of lenders charging interest on the whole loan amount at the beginning. You save a lot of money this way, and it can be misleading when you get your terms quoted to you by the lender at a particular rate if they charge all the interest up front versus upon distributions. Patch of Land's got a document that you've got to check out if you're a fix and flipper to educate yourself on questions you should ask the lender. Regardless if you go with Patch of Land, you've got to get this document to educate yourself on the questions to ask your lender to make sure you're getting the best financing terms. The document's at patchofland.com forward slash Joe Fairless. That's patchofland.com forward slash Joe Fairless. Patch of Land, they can close in as little as seven days and they can help you through this program save thousands of dollars on your deals, make more money, and uh, have a better business and grow your fix and flip business. So go to patchofland.com forward slash Joe Fairless. Best ever listeners, how you doing? Welcome to the best real estate investing advice ever show. I'm Joe Fairless. This is the world's longest running daily real estate investing podcast. We only talk about the best advice ever. We don't get into any of that fluffy stuff. And we're doing Follow Along Friday. So welcome, my friends. And Theo Hicks, how are we going to start this off? So today we had a great question from a listener who's kind of in a, not a sticky situation, but in an interesting and fun situation in his apartment investing career. And we're going to basically run through his question and then kind of tackle it from multiple different angles and give him 
multiple pieces of advice and potential strategies for moving forward. So let's just dive right in. His name's Peter. I believe he's from New York. And basically his current situation is his parents own 10 single family residences, free and clear, so no debt. And the value of each are approximately $300,000. And in about five years from now, he gets to inherit half of those properties from his parents. Um, so in, in so theory, $1.5 million in, 1.5 million in equity. Inherit. Okay, that's pretty cool. All right. I don't want to say congratulations. It might mean his parents pass away. So I was, yeah. I was about to say congratulations. Okay, fair <laughs> enough. What else? And he has a son who's 26 years old, and he wants to get involved in real estate right now. So the dad, Peter, is having trouble coming up with ideas to get his son involved. Basically, the combined role for all the properties is $200,000. So Peter will be inheriting $100,000 worth of gross income in five years from now. Mm -hmm. And the idea he has for now is to basically offer his son up to his parents as a property manager and pay him 10% of the gross potential rent or the gross rent. So he'll be making 20 grand a year and then he'll also get paid for any maintenance work that he does. And then five years from now, it seems that his son will lose half those properties and only be managing five of the properties. So getting $10,000 a year. What do you mean lose them? His brother is getting half of the properties. And I guess the assumption is that once his brother gets the properties, his son's no longer going to be the manager. So he wants to know how his son can, right now, before they actually inherit those properties, scale some sort of real estate business, in his eyes, small salary of $20,000 per year. So any ideas we have, he would love. Okay. I had a hard time following that. So let me try and summarize. This gentleman who emailed us is going to inherit $1.5 million worth of property. And he wants to get his son involved now, even though he doesn't own the property now. First mm-hmm. off, is all that accurate? Yes. Okay. And the $1.5 million worth of property is later going to be divided in half again when someone else, brother or whoever, takes ownership of it. Is that correct or not? No. So his parents' no. total portfolio is $3 million. Got it. All right. So 1.5 is all we're dealing with. So we'll just talk about 1.5, right? Or okay. should we be talking about the three? The 1.5. Okay. So we got 1.5 and it brings in 100K a month, right? Or a year? It may seem like it's in a year. A year. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, That that would make more sense. So it brings in 100K a year in profit, right? Is it a rent roll? So I'm assuming that means gross rent. Gross rent. Okay. So gross rent, 100K. And what's his question? He wants to know what his son can do now. His son basically wants to start a real estate business uh-huh. and he wants to know how he can expand his business now. And then again, in five years, once they inherit the properties. Expand his business now, not touching these properties for five years. And then in five years, he'll get them. Okay. And I know you've put some thought towards this. Now that I have an understanding of the situation, I can be helpful, but I know you thought a lot about this. So what are your thoughts? Obviously, he's got two approaches. So I'm going to start in five years from now because I think that's going to be, in, I think what he's going to do in five years once he inherits all that equity should determine what he does leading up to that point. It sounds like his son doesn't have any real estate experience at all. So he can use those five years to prepare to inherit that $1.5 million worth of equity that he can leverage to use however he pleases. So obviously, at that point, he can either take that money and passively invest it or he can be an active investor. 
Sounds based off of this question that his son take, wants to take what money? The equity in five years. Okay, so do some sort of cash out refinance or something and take that and passively or actively invest it. Exactly. Got it. Okay. The other thing is two options. So you can either you can do the cash out refi or home equity line of credit, depending on which approach they want to take. Since he's kind of implying that his son wants to be more hands on, I'm going to go with the assumption that passive investing wouldn't be something he's interested in. Mm-hmm. So obviously, he could either buy more single family residences or maybe get in a smaller multifamily, or he could take that money and buy one large apartment building. Since we're apartment investors and we have a lot of advice on investing in apartments, that'd be the route that I would recommend taking. So if he's going to be investing in an apartment building in five years from now, and he has no experience in real estate, then he needs to start getting that experience. So obviously he's going to start managing these 10 properties, which I would recommend you do, even if the salary is only going to be $20,000 per year. Or zero salary. Yeah, or, or for free. Yeah. I mean, come on. <laughs> yeah. Because you're going to get that experience of understanding how it is to actually manage single family properties. Yeah, if he does no experience, probably not worth 20000 to manage properties because he's probably more of a liability than an asset. So really, it should be mm-hmm. for free. Exactly. It, and we had a kind of a back and forth conversation, me and Peter, and he was you know, mentioning how he might have a little bit of a hard time selling the 10% idea to his parents because they can just get someone else that's more experienced and pay them less than that. Oh, you, you talked to this listener? Uh, just on email. We had a back and forth conversation. Oh, really? All right. Just cool. to kind of clarify a couple of points. Okay. So as he's managing those 10 single family properties and before he is able to inherit that money to buy the apartment, probably should get some experience managing an apartment complex or at least something that's not a single family property because obviously it's different managing a single family versus an apartment. Mm-hmm. And so a couple of ideas. I kind of mentioned this because this is what my property manager does and so I'm kind of taking his approach. But basically what, what he did is he also wanted to prepare to manage an apartment for his own personal business. And so what he started doing is he went on Craigslist and Zillow and apartments.com and places like that and found the rental listings that were listed by owners, not property managers, but actual owners who were looking for renters. And instead of reaching out and asking to rent or instead of asking to buy because he didn't have the capital or the experience at the time to buy those larger properties, he just asked if he could become the property manager. And his in would be, hey, I know you had this need right now. Obviously, your unit is vacant. I'm not sure exactly how he did this, but basically he fulfilled that need and used that as leverage to become the property manager. Mm -hmm. And when he did that, once he signed the contract, he put a clause in there that said, if you or when you decide to sell the property, I basically get dibs on buying it. I know we talked about this before. We're not sure exactly how that would work because what if the owner just jacks up the price to $10 million? It's like, all right, you want to buy it at $10 million? But that way, I thought for this specific strategy, it'd be ideal because... If he's going to inherit all that money in five years, he starts building up that portfolio of clients. Mm-hmm. Now, not only is he going to get that experience of managing smaller multifamilies and eventually working up to larger apartment buildings, but he'll also have the opportunity to buy a property later on down the road. And the timing that might not be perfect, but if he has 20, 30, 40 clients at that point in time, when he inherits all that money, Around maybe a couple of months or to a year afterwards, one of those owners might come to him and say, hey, I'm ready to sell my property. Mm-hmm. And he can be like, boom, I've got all this equity. Let's do a deal. As opposed to having to save up money from other avenues and having to wait further down the line or raise money from someone else. So that was strategy number one. Manage properties, put a clause there that you buy it when they're ready to sell it. And when they're ready to sell, have the money and the experience right there ready to go. Okay. 
And then the second idea that I came up with, and this is a little bit more non-real estate related, and it kind of depends on what his interests are because he might not like managing properties. He might not enjoy it. It sounds like he's pretty handy. And I know that everyone's always out there looking for a handyman or a contractor. So in combination with his property management company, or instead of being a property manager, he can always follow the exact same approach, but be a maintenance person instead. And so either start a contracting company alongside with a property manager, because obviously if you're working with a bunch of real estate investors and you're managing properties, they're going to need work done. Or if you just don't like it, you can kind of completely forego any of that and just start a whole brand new business of being a contractor. Because again, everyone's always looking for a reliable contractor. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's kind of a sideways approach that could be really helpful for him to leverage his skill set he already has, or we think he already has, and get some relevant experience that way. I agree. I'm on board with, especially the first approach, it's really creative. And it's something that I don't think a lot of people would think of. The challenge I have with that, or maybe not challenge I have, but maybe there's a way to add on to it, or maybe I'm wrong, is that by starting with no experience and then automatically picking up rentals to manage, you aren't modeling after the best in class. Instead, you're starting really scrappy and building up from there. And the challenge with that is that you're not leveraging the insights that other people already have who are performing at a high level in the industry that you want to be in. So my suggestion would be if you take that approach, then also get a consultant or a mentor or something. I would say ideally intern at a management company, but then there's going to be conflict of interest because you're building your own while you're interning with another group. So unless it's an out-of-market management company, which wouldn't provide much value to you, it's going to be a little tough. Alternative approach would be you've got five years, take one year and shadow the best-in-class management company. Do whatever they need you to do for one year. Learn some of the fundamentals of the business for one year and only focus on management and only read property management books, listen to property management interviews, et cetera. And then for that year, you'll have a good baseline knowledge for how to manage. And then obviously, well, maybe not obviously, but when you inherit the portfolio, I suggest that you free up the equity that is currently in the portfolio. And Theo, you mentioned earlier, you know, it's either a cash out refinance or it's some sort of line of credit against the properties. And then with that, that's a whole nother conversation. How do you maximize that? And ultimately buy value add deals, increase the value and continue to do refinances or supplementals and take the equity back out, put it in a new project and then rinse and repeat, or you sell, do 1031 and continue to do it. So that would be identifying a best-in-class partner to model would be the only addition I have to your first approach. Absolutely, because yeah, just pop it in and imagine 10 properties right away while you will get experience. I'm sure you can do that without having any understanding at all, but you're setting yourself up for a lot more success if you actually have some idea of what's going on before doing that. When you were kind of talking, this is another strategy they could use 
when you're kind of talking about the whole rinse and repeat method. If the father doesn't want to give his son $1.5 million or a million dollars, he could reduce that and give him a much smaller amount. And I know he wants to start his business now, but he can be a billionaire now like everyone does. But he could take that $100,000 or $200,000 and either do that Burr approach, which is you buy a property, you rehab it, you rent it, you refinance, you repeat. Or again, this guy is handy. He just do the same thing with a fix and flip. So invest $100,000, flip a property, get that equity back with an extra 20 grand, you know, keep that 20 grand or invest it back into your business and flip again and again and again until you can scale that way. Just because mm-hmm. I, I don't know their situation, but it sounds aggressive to give your son that much money, uh, just a million bucks once you've inherited all that money. Mm-hmm. So you can still reduce that into a smaller amount and you can still do something with it and still grow a business. Yeah. And with this question, there are way too many variables that we'd have to solve for to give proper advice. That's correct. (laughs) What I just said is correct for lack of a better phrasing. So instead, it's really about the question that is relevant to most listeners, as well as Peter, the gentleman who submitted this question. And that is, what's the best way to get started? And in this case, Peter's asking for his son. So if the son asked us, what's the best way to get started, regardless of what might happen in five years, the question's basically, what's the best way I can get started in real estate and optimize my experience so that I'm making the best use of my time? And the first thing I would say to get started is find out who's performing at the high level in the segment of real estate that you want to be in and then model them. That's number one. And then number two, be scrappy and resourceful along the way, which ties into what you were talking about with the Craigslist thing. So really it's just that one, two punch. And when we do that, then we won't have to experience a lot of the mistakes that most people starting out experience because we already know the path to get there. We'll still experience mistakes, but there will be less mistakes along the way. Yeah, you'll be much more efficient. When I bought my first property, I was not reading any. I was not reading any books, not listening to any podcasts, and as you make the silliest mistakes ever, not only does it affect your bottom line, but it also affects you mentally and makes you kind of hesitant and resistant to maybe I shouldn't be doing this. But if you're mm-hmm. listening to podcasts constantly, even if you're not taking notes, you you hear an idea and you have no idea down the road five, ten years, or even right away when you first start, if that could be something that saves you a ton of money or just kind of saves your entire career because you would have quit if you would have made that silly mistake, like not turning on your utilities and walking into a waterfall in your basement, things like that, you know? (laughs) All right. So Peter, we addressed your question and you've got a lot of ideas to talk about with your son. I think it's really cool that one of the things we thought about was helping out your son get started in business. So that's pretty cool. Moving on, Joe, I, I know you had a interesting observation this week that you wanted to have a conversation about. Yeah, I found it interesting and I found it helpful for myself and therefore I think it will be helpful for all the best ever listeners. Here's what happened. I volunteer for hospice and I visit a patient. My goal and intention is to visit the patient weekly. I have not been doing that and I feel bad about it. So the whole reason I'm doing this is to contribute, but then also selfishly, it's to also feel good about the experience and gain some perspective in life and just keep things in check for what's really important. So it's giving back, but I think when 
we give back, when I give back, I always get something in return emotionally, psychologically from a mindset or something. And the challenge I had is that I wasn't holding myself accountable enough to go visit on a consistent basis. So taking one step back, what I'm about to talk about is when we're attempting to hold ourselves accountable to something, it doesn't have to be volunteering. It could be sending a direct mail letter out every week or be following up with brokers, whatever it is. When we're attempting to hold ourselves accountable and it's not working, then we've got to change our approach. Obvious statement. So here's something that I found interesting. I read the book, Stumbling on Happiness, Dan Gilbert, about a year ago or so. And Colleen, my wife, is reading it now. And she reminded me of a part in the book that talks about volunteer work and how they did two studies with patients who had volunteers visit them. They did one study with two different groups, an A and a B group. Volunteers in group A showed up randomly at random times and hung out with the patient who was near death. I think six, eight weeks. I I forget how long they were supposed to have to live. And in group B, the volunteers did not show up randomly. Instead, they asked the patient, when would you like me to come next and for how long? They asked them those two questions. And the interesting thing about the study between group A and group B is that after the study was over, they went to check on those patients. And the patients in group A who had volunteers randomly show up, they didn't know when they were going to arrive or for how long, they died at a higher rate than the patients who controlled when the volunteers would come next that week, what day of the week, and for how long. And Dan Gilbert, the author of Stumbling on Happiness, and if you don't want to read the book, just listen to his TED Talk. It's pretty much as good as the book, and it's much shorter time commitment. He says that when we have control over something, that is a factor in how happy we are, and in this case, life or death. So here's how we tie it back to accountability for us. When I heard that, I thought, one, that's a powerful study. Two, that is the solution to my accountability problem with this one thing. Now, I don't have accountability problems in other areas or in most other areas, but this was one area that I was having a hard time keeping myself accountable for. The solution is I'm no longer going to show up randomly with the gentleman I visit with. Instead, from now on, I'm going to ask him, what day of the week would you like me to visit next week? And I would ask the duration, but my schedule's a little packed, so I'm not sure if I'm going to ask him the duration part, but I am going to ask him what day of the week. And that way, I will now be held accountable by him and myself, and it also benefits him, according to the study, where he has the potential to live longer because he has some form of control in when I arrive or the day I arrive. So the takeaway for anyone in a situation where you're having trouble holding yourself accountable is give up the freedom to choose when you do stuff. Instead, delegate that out to someone else who is involved or on the sidelines who can help keep you in check. 
And when you delegate out the freedom to do the certain things like do a direct mail campaign, then you're forced to almost do that stuff. So for example, if it's going to direct mail campaign, if I'm just not doing it as frequently as I know I should be doing it, then find a way to automatically schedule it or just call the company that you're paying to do the direct mail. Or if you're not paying them, then maybe you're buying postcards from them or whatever vendor is involved in that process. Call them up and say, please give me a call on X date every month or every two months or every two weeks, whatever it is. And I am going to fulfill the order when you call or take it a step further, give me a credit card, whatever. So that's the main takeaway. And it's founded in a study that is in the book, Stumbling on Happiness. And it's a life-changing thing for perhaps the individual I'm speaking to on a weekly basis, but it can also be applied to anyone who has challenge with accountability. That's so fascinating that you knew you had that, that problem with the accountability with a very specific situation, which was your hospice volunteering. And then Colleen happened to be reading the, the book that had a study that was like a perfect fit for your exact situation. So I thought it was interesting. And then kind of to reinforce your point about that, I was listening to a podcast, The Psychiatrist, and he was talking about, it's very similar to the study that you were talking about, but it's soldiers in war and how the special forces soldiers are less likely to get the PTSD versus kind of just your regular soldier who's on the patrol and gets attacked because the special forces soldier is in control of the situation because he knows what he's going into. Whereas mm-hmm. if I'm just strolling around in my Humvee, hanging out with friends, that's the thing I know I wake up and I'm in a hospital because I got blown up. Obviously, both situations are chaos and not 100% your control, but the special forces soldier is in a lot more control than the regular soldier. And so, again, I'm not sure what the exact study he studied was, but he did say that the special forces soldiers are less likely to get PTSD um, than a regular soldier. And so that's kind of, obviously, PTSD and dying is a little bit different, but kind of the same pattern there. Mm -hmm. I believe it. Thanks for making that connection into this. That makes sense. And then thirdly, for the accountability aspect of it, I think your advice on if you're doing a direct mailing campaign, for example, asking the vendor you're working with to notify you on this day, and then they're benefited because you're going to pay them to actually do the campaign. But at least from my perspective and my personality, the way that I'm held accountable most is by telling my wife that I'm supposed to do something. Because if I don't, then she'll definitely let me know, like, hey, Theo, you didn't do this. And for some reason, whenever it comes from someone you love, there's like an extra sting whenever they tell you you did something wrong. Mm-hmm. So that's just another piece of advice. Be like, whether it's a, a wife, a girlfriend, a boyfriend, a really close friend, a family member, someone you have like a really personal relationship with who isn't afraid to, not only they're not afraid to not say anything to you, but like know exactly how to get points across to you because they know you very well. Mm-hmm. Um, that's just another thing you could do for an extra like, accountability. And something really tactical you could do is because when you tell perhaps your wife or your husband, your girlfriend, your boyfriend, your kids, whoever, grandparents, whoever this person is, or business partner, well, not business partner, perhaps your family aren't as involved in, say, a direct mail campaign. So then it's like, you know, Marcella, your wife, if you don't send out the direct mail, she might not pick up on that because she's got her own stuff she's working on. So one tactical thing you could do is just write on a piece of paper, I am a man of my word, and I will do the following things each week or each month. And then just put that piece of paper in a place where everyone can see in the household or at your company. 
and have some way of like putting a check mark every time you do it or some tactical thing like that. That way you're not relying on them to remember that you were supposed to do something because they got their own things they're dealing with. But instead you've got it on a piece of paper where everyone can see. And that way, even if they forget to say something, you've got it front and center on display. Oh yeah, that's a great idea. Or again, like like the, the most basic thing you can do is just do like a calendar invite to remind yourself on a frequent basis. But again, that's not it's easy that's, to snooze. That's, that's yeah. e- very easy to just like, oh yeah, there, there that is again. Yeah. All right, well, we can do it next month. One thing I did want to mention though, on the volunteering front, not necessarily related to real estate investing, but the best ever podcast is all about giving back. And one of your big goals for this year is to transition from significance to contribution. It's transitioned. There you go. I'm already transitioned. transitioned. Yeah. Perfect. And at least for me, and I'm sure a lot of other people say, I go, I don't have time to volunteer. I don't have time to spend an hour or two a week and the time that it takes to actually find a charity and things like that. But don't use that as an excuse to not really do anything. I found a really good service. It's called Give Well, G-I-V-E-W-E-L-L. And they rank different charities globally because all charities aren't equal. And then you can simply go on there and set up like an automatic payment to donate whatever amount of money you want on a specific time or a specific frequency throughout the year. And through my investigating this website, I realized that if you donate, I'm not saying people should donate this much money, but if you donate somewhere around $3,000 per year, then that's what they equate to the amount of money that's required to save someone's life, whether it be in Africa somewhere. So I'm not saying I donate that much money, but that's just kind of showing you if you donate $1,500 and you're halfway towards saving someone's life, which is just a little bit over $100 per month. And you just set it up one time and you forget about it. But behind the scenes, it's happening and you, maybe you can get a notification on your phone or get that receipt once a year. And so I know that you're kind of missing out on that feel good portion of actually tactically being there and volunteering. But this allows you to still help other people out without having to spend more than a couple minutes of your time setting up an automatic payment. So I just wanted to mention that it's called givewell.org actually and ranks charities and you just go on there and pick one and set up an automatic payment and be well on your way to saving a person's life. Cool. And you know, it's all about prioritizing. We all have the same amount of time, but we give back in different ways. And I'm not anyone who would ever say you give back one particular way, nor did you choose how you give back. Doesn't have to be money. Could be a smile and a handshake with someone who was not expecting it that day. And then they pass it forward and you never know. So I think it's one, how you carry yourself. And then two, having the intention of giving back and doing good things on a daily basis. And then how that manifests itself. Yeah. It's different for everyone. Exactly. Cool. Well, well, great observation, Joe. Appreciate you sharing that. So we've got the Best Ever Conference coming up in less than a week. I'm excited to meet everyone and network with some Best Ever listeners and some great speakers. Yeah, looking forward to it and see everyone there on the 9th in Denver, Colorado. I get to go back to the cold. <laughs> <laughs> and then also make sure you guys check out the Best Ever Show community on Facebook by searching it on the search function. Each week, we're going to start posting a question to the listeners. We've got active real estate investors, former Best Ever guests, we're on there answering those questions. So it's a really good way to kind of get a, an accumulation of advice from really successful investors. Last week, we asked everyone what their favorite book was, and we selected 10 of those responses and put them in a blog post that we featured on the Best Ever blog. So if you go on there and you join and you answer a question, 
you have an opportunity to be featured in the best ever blog. We'll be posting those questions on Wednesday and the blog will also go live on Wednesday from the previous week's question. Next week's question is, if you were starting real estate investing all over again, what would be your first purchase? So just a couple of sentences as to what that is and why, and you have the opportunity to be featured in a blog post. And then to wrap up, we've got our review of the week. So make sure you subscribe to the best real estate investing advice ever show on iTunes, leave a review and have the opportunity to be the review of the week. This week, the person's name isn't really a name. I think they might've just like kind of did something. Did this Those week. are the best ones. What is it? <laughs> it's A-H-E-M-R-N-S-G-X-U. They just threw up on the keyboard. It sounds like. I think so. But they didn't throw up on the keyboard when they wrote the review because their title is The Sweetest Real Estate Nectar. <laughs> oh, gosh. <laughs> wow. Wow. That, that, you did a 180 from smashing on the keyboard to writing some sweet sentences. All right. Yeah. What do they got? I'm 19 years old and don't own any real estate yet. Joe's podcast has made the real estate world seem familiar and possible. I listen to the podcast daily and plan to buy my first property within the next two years. If you want the best ever advice, look no further than this podcast. Great stuff. Ah, well, thank you so much for taking time out of your day and prioritizing writing a review to give back. That means a lot. Your time is valuable. You're getting started in your investing career and you got a lot of things going on outside of investing, I'm sure. So thank you so much. I am not going to attempt to pronounce your screen name. So I'll just say thanks a lot. And for everyone else, if you leave a review. We sincerely appreciate it and helps us continue to get high quality guests uh, attracted to the show because they see these reviews and they want to participate in our community. So thanks everyone for hanging out with us and we will see you in Denver next week if you're going. And if not, we'll be talking to you again soon. Today's sponsor Patch of Land has got the document for you that you've got to check out if you're a fix and flipper. They show you how a higher interest rate can actually deliver a lower cost to your fix and flip loan, and conversely, how a lower interest rate could deliver a higher cost to your fix and flip loan. Needless to say, you got to know this stuff to identify the best loan terms. Go to patchofland.com forward slash Joe Fairless. Get this document, patchofland.com forward slash Joe Fairless. Tired of the noise in the real estate investing space, but still want to light your business on fire? Real Estate Deal Talk is an original source of radio shows, podcasts, case studies, and articles devoted to real estate investing for investors by investors. Discover more at realestatedealtalk.com. That's realestatedealtalk.com.